0: If you are following the podcast in order or binge watching the podcast, you're going to kill me this week Um, because this is not part two of Avery Smith's podcast. And to be honest, editing sucks. If you are a podcaster or a up and coming podcaster, editing is the most tedious part of this process. So to be completely honest, I'm not done editing that episode. But I will make sure to have it for you next week. But in the meantime, between time, today I was able to moderate a really cool discussion where I got to sit down with a few folks. I got to sit down with David Holt, who is the mayor of Oklahoma City. Um, He is a Republican as well as the first Native American mayor. I got to sit down with Danny Ortega. He's an attorney and longtime advocate for community empowerment in Arizona and has done some amazing work in the Latino community in Arizona as it relates to elections. And I also got to sit down with Jeremy Gruber, um, who is a senior vice president of Open Primaries, and John Opdyke, who is the president of Open Primaries. I was able to be the moderator of a great discussion about the rise of independent voters. I don't know if you all know this, but a Gallup poll just came out that said 50% of Americans identify as independents. Like, I don't know if that is shocking to you all or not, but that's the first time Gallup poll has ever said that. 25% only identify as Republican and the other 25% is Democrat. So something is happening in the in the climate, especially like post-Trump era and going into Biden's era. A lot of folks are really um, starting to say they're really down for this independent thing. So if you have time and you should, go ahead and stay on with the podcast and listen to our discussion as we talk about the next great migration, the rise of independent voters. Thank you guys. And I promise you next week, Avery Smith's part two will be here. For me, it doesn't matter what party's in place, it matters that the people are getting what they need, and I've learned to figure out how to find common ground to make sure we're all focused on a common ground and not the things that we have that are not the center that, that keep us apart.
1: When I decided to run for mayor, I immediately embraced the nonpartisan nature of the mayor's office here in Oklahoma City. I did not run in a closed partisan primary, and I preached a platform that was, you know, focused on a broad range of priorities, and I have tried to, you know, find common purpose across this very diverse spectrum of political perspectives and and ethnicities uh, and all the other things
2: that, that can tear a community apart if you don't have leadership that's trying to bring us together if we are going to allow the parties to remain the gatekeepers of our primary elections then they should be open to every tax-paying citizen if taxation without representation is the very encapsulation of that founding principle
3: to me the primaries in the state of arizona are the biggest voter suppression that there is in this country because people are not allowed to vote for who they want to vote for not for the parties want them to vote for
4: Is a coming together of political insiders that want to restore some elasticity some flexibility to the two-party system and political outsiders independents who want to shake up the system and open up the door so non-party voters have much more of a say and they're joining forces
0: thank you all so much for joining us as we discuss the next great migration the rise of independent voters With us today are the authors of the report, Jeremy Gruber, John Opdyke, as well as Danny Ortega and David Holt, both of whom wrote forwards for that report. All four of them have so much to say about the rise of independent voters and the need for political reform, and so do I. So I'm excited to jump into the conversation and get us kicked off. So my first question goes to John and Jeremy. Honestly, reading the report, the statistics were very staggering, to be very honest, as a person who identifies as an independent. Um, indie voters are growing rapidly in almost every state across the nation. In your view, what's going on and why is this important?
4: Well, you know, when Jeremy and I started working on this report, we wanted to, you know, recognize that we're in a, in a, in a climate now in the country where issues of political reform, of polarization, of dysfunction, these are front and center issues, I mean, look at HR one in Congress is looking at a sweeping overhaul of the election system. Independents have been ahead of the curve on these questions and on these issues, but have by and large been ignored or dismissed by the political experts. And so, we wrote this this report. We wanted to help make visible the exodus that's taking place from the political parties, and to assert that this exodus is important. Um, you know, you can't reform the political process through a Democratic and Republican party lens. It just doesn't work. Uh, and Mayor Holt put this brilliantly in his in his uh, foreword to the piece. Independents have been the canary in the coal mine, uh, and it's about time the country listened to what they've been saying.
2: You know, I, I was I was talk, telling John the other day I was reading uh, the speeches of of Robert La Follette. He was the uh, former governor of Wisconsin during the progressive era and sort of the one of the great champions of a lot of the reforms that came out of the progressive era, including the direct primary. And what I found most interesting about reading his speeches is that he never talked about the solutions. He never talked about reforms. For him, that could be figured out behind closed doors, the lawyers, the legislature, they'll get together, they'll figure it out. For La Follette, the issue was we have to identify the root causes of the problems that are plaguing our political system. If we don't identify the root causes, we are never going to be able to have the right solutions. Um, we're never going to get the public buy in and public understanding of, of, of what's going on. We all understand the problems. This report is about looking at the root, one of, one of the important root causes, and that is this massive change that's going on in the American electorate. Uh, where voters are not just aspiring to be independent, they're registering as independent, and they find themselves in a complex web of laws and regulations that put them in a second-class status compared to their other, the other citizens in this country. They keep them on the outside of these democratic discussions, and they are causing a lot of the tumult and dysfunction that's resulting in our system as a result.
0: That definitely makes sense. So I live in Maryland, where we're in a closed primary state. And for the first time, I came from Virginia, where it was open primary, and I didn't have to register. But coming to Maryland, I had to register as an independent, and I no longer was allowed to participate in the primary. So for me, that was very concerning that that was an actual issue. And then even as we think about how the country is just changing, I know, um, John, you sent me an email about how the Gallup poll has changed for the first time, whereas 50 percent of people are saying they identify as independent. Twenty five percent were Republican. Twenty five percent were Democrat. So it's very interesting that this shift is happening. And particularly for me as a black woman, I'm seeing a lot of people in my community also say, hey, I'm tired of being tied to a party just by the basis of my race. And I feel like, Danny, I want to throw a question to you. Um, In addition to the Ford, you've been writing a number of editorials in Arizona about the rise of political independence, specifically in the Latino community, especially among the millennials in that group. After the 2020 election, I think a lot of people were surprised that Latinos voted in very unpredictable ways. And it's almost as if though they didn't know 40% of Latinos are independents, Right. So what does this trend look like to you? And do you think that people are paying enough attention?
4: Oh, Danny, you have to unmute yourself.
3: Sorry about that. Thank you for inviting me to this discussion. Uh, I think it's important, first of all, to start out with uh, the problems facing our political system. Those were the magic words uh, that I heard Jeremy. Uh, talk about. And that is that in the past, it, there has always been a uh, tremendous amount of criticism aimed at the Latino community for not turning out in numbers uh, on Election Day the way other groups do, uh, particularly as it relates to African Americans, quite frankly. Uh, and at the end of the day, it was always blaming Latinos for that. But the problem was it was the system that was encouraging people not to vote. It was the system that didn't encourage participation. In Arizona, we're closed primaries. In Arizona, uh, if if you want to be an independent, you have to choose a ballot, a Republican ballot or a uh, Democratic ballot in order to vote. Most people say, "I'm not going to get into choosing what I didn't choose to begin with if I'm going to be an independent." Right? Uh, that I have to pick between the parties, and so I think these things are the root causes of lack of voter participation, or as I call it, the largest voter suppression uh, that you've ever seen in the state of Arizona. And what's happening is that more Latinos now are not loyal to the Democratic Party. That's been historically true of more uh, marginalized folks in this country are not loyal to them and are registering independence. But the real problem to the political parties is the number of millennials that are registering as independents. The problem is you can't can't improve upon voter participation if you don't give people the opportunity to do so. So that when you have so many Latinos uh, uh, registering to vote and they can't vote in the primary because they make them choose a ballot, right? And you don't nurture that civic participation that you need to get them to the general. And you have redistricting that protects I call it the self-preservation project that 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 protects incumbents, particularly Latinos. First of all, Latinos candidates, and particularly incumbents, they want every Latino alive to be in their district. Okay, they don't want to spread the wealth. They don't want to see to it that we can win in areas other than the political reservations that they placed us in. Okay, and so when you have all that, you know, kind of a combination. Uh, you don't encourage participation, you don't encourage people to get out to vote, and you don't encourage a culture of, uh, of, of voting. So I think it's important for us to recognize that in the Latino community, the loyalty to the Democratic Party is dissipating fast, number one. And number two, uh, the Republicans are kind of helping Democrats because, you know, the things that are coming out of the Republican Party, in terms of race in particular, uh, you know and and the revival of racism in a way that i haven't seen it since i was a kid all right uh uh has helped democrats but it still doesn't get people out to vote uh at the end of the day that to me is the important thing and the fact that millennials will ultimately control uh the number of voters if we change a system that encourages them to vote.
0: You hit so many different topics that I wish we had an hour on every single topic um, that you just highlighted. And maybe we will. Right. Um, But I think what you said, Danny, that really resonated for me that I want to also bring up is the idea that historical groups or minority groups. Right. Are now starting to say, hey, I don't want this system or this thing. And specifically in the millennial group. Right. And then we're also looking at how Gen Z is starting to talk about this. A lot of Gen Zs are engaged in the civic process even before they're 18, not necessarily voting and things like that, but they're organizing, they're creating Instagram groups. They're doing all this really cool stuff to say, hey, we are independent of these two parties and we want a way forward. So I appreciate you for um, bringing those topics up because I think those things are very important. And another thing that I want to bring up is the fact that when we have those two parties, right, and you kind of hit on this, where it's like traditionally they're used to getting Latino voters or Black voters, so they expect that that demographic to vote a certain way. And after a while, it feels like politicians get a little lazy. If I can be very clear in um, saying that, and they just basically say after primaries, right, they win uh, the primaries, and you pretty much know where you are if they're going to win the general election, so they don't have to do any work. So that's where I want to like lean on to Mayor Holt. Mayor Holtz, I want to read a quote from your Ford. So you said, I speak from experience that nonpartisan and partisan systems have a profound impact on the people elected to serve. Open systems foster collaboration and bridge building in the service of finding solutions. Closed, sorry, closed systems foster zero-sum game competition and partisan rivalry. Do you think this open versus closed system is connected to the growing numbers of people who don't want to be in a political party?
1: Yes, because the current – well, first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you to John and everybody, and thanks for all the work that you do collectively in this area. Um, Yes, I mean, because here's what's happening. The the outcomes you achieve are absolutely dependent on the inputs you put into the system. And so we have a system that incentivizes inputs that are divisive, that that are seeking to run to the extremes because that's who's voting in a closed partisan primary process. This inevitably yields outcomes that sort of turns a lot of people off, especially the 50, 60, 70% of people that are, that are, if not 70, 80% of people that are in the middle. So contrast and compare different systems. And we're a great example of, uh, we're basically a, a, a top two nonpartisan system in the city of Oklahoma City. And when I ran, even though I'd been a Republican in the Oklahoma State Senate, I ran as a very nonpartisan, uh, with a very nonpartisan vision. And I got 78 percent in a city that's about 50-50 along politics. It's a very purple city. It probably voted for Joe Biden by about five points in this most recent election. But I got 78 as percent a, as a registered Republican because I ran nonpartisan and I ran that way. You know, I was incentivized to run that way through the system. And that you can't nobody gets 78% in in the current system we have because it's made to divide us. It incentivizes a candidate, either Republicans or Democrats, to try and get, you know, more than 51% of the votes in their primary. Well, that's, I'm simplifying, but that's 26% of the electorate. And then they ride that all the way to victory. Well, we have basically a whole government that is formed of people who got 26% of the vote. You know, they have, they, have, they have focused on getting a majority of half of the vote. And once they advance to the general election, the partisan loyalty usually forces the 24% that they didn't get to, to go ahead and vote for them. And so then they, they carve out their 51% majority of the general electorate, but three quarters of the electorate didn't really like them. And the, the, the system creates those bizarre outcomes instead of a system where every candidate faces every voter. Every voter gets to weigh in on every candidate. And and that creates a system where you have to appeal to the vast majority of people. You know, you have to appeal to the middle, the 50, 60% of the people in the middle who are not extremists. and And that's what I, and so when you ask me, Does the system we have drive people to not want to be in a party? Yes, because the system we have creates bad government outcomes and and people look at the two parties and they blame them for that. We need systems, whether it's open primaries, whether it's top two, whatever it is, we need systems where candidates are incentivized to appeal to the broad electorate, to all of their constituents. It is it is the way that a high school student would tell you we elect people. If you asked a high school kid, how do we elect people in America? They'd say, well, everybody runs and everybody gets to votes. That is not at all how we elect people in the United States of America. We funnel them through these silos and great candidates are never even exposed to the general electorate unless they run as an independent. But that's not viewed as a credible way to seek office right now. We, that has to change. And we need to acknowledge, as as John has uh, and, and his colleagues have pushed for, we need to acknowledge that independent voters exist, whether they're registered that way or not, and it's really about half the country, and find a way to channel that energy into better electoral outcomes.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. And I look at the audience faces and I see the chat like blowing up. So I think people also agree with you um and even as an independent right if you are going to run like you have other obstacles or hurdles that you have to go through like when I ran as an independent I had to get like so many signatures when my democrat and republican the candidates that were running only had to pay a fine of like or fee of a hundred dollars and that was it like they had the backing of just saying I'm a part of this party and that was it whereas I had to get 5,000 plus signatures to do the same thing and participate in the electoral process so I am right there with you and I completely understand. But then I look at all of you for my next question and from your individual point of view, what's next? Like, what do we do knowing that all these issues exist, knowing that there are going to be like, systems that continue to keep independent voters in a place where we're not able to exercise our vote in a way that we think is fair and free? What can we do as individuals and the over 200 people who are now listening in on this, right? What can we do as a next step to begin to push this process forward? And I'll start with John.
4: Well, I, I'm going to give a tiny thing because there's so much work to do around reforming the system, but I, I'm going to give a a little tiny thing, but I think it's very significant. Which is that anyone, anytime someone tells you that an independent voter is not really an independent, they're a democratic leaner or a Republican leaner, tell them that they are wrong and they're being disrespectful. I really believe this: that independent voters are saying something by being independent that needs to be respected and related to seriously. And the pollsters. They just say, yeah, 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 you're an independent, but you really vote for Democrats or really vote for Republicans. It's not all about who you vote for. We, the people, have to push back on the pundits and the pollsters and say, you know, you're missing the point.
2: You know, I think John's, John's exactly right. Um, we need to build the narrative uh, around this massive shift in the electorate that's going on that is not being properly covered. The public doesn't appreciate it. The media doesn't appreciate it. The politicians don't appreciate it, but it's very real and it's fundamentally contributing to the dysfunction and polarization that we're having right now. When you look at the numbers and we've been looking at these numbers for a long time, these polling numbers that come out of like Gallup uh, and those are very persuasive numbers. But when you only talk about independence as aspirational as voters who view themselves as independent you're much more able to dismiss them right you're much more able to pigeonhole them as leaners but what i think this report does that i think is is a really important addition to the conversation is that it maps actual voter registration trends currently and in the future and finds that independent voters are actually registered voters In half the states in the country right now, they're the largest or second largest group. And if you're looking at the growth rates, uh, they are going to be the largest or second largest group of voters in every state in 10 years. So we have a system that's fundamentally out of whack. Our institutions, our electoral system, um, our entire political system is not connected to where the voters are. It's, it's, It's from a bygone era when everyone was more or less a Republican or a Democrat. Um, and until we fundamentally understand that the system is out of act and why, we're not going to be able to move forward with the more specific solutions that you know, a lot of us are are working on right now.
0: Danny, or Dan-
3: I think yeah, this is Danny. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're facing right now all over the country is this perpetuation of, you know, party loyalties uh, is in redistricting. Uh, you know, we, we, we right now, we are at that point in history in which redistricting has everything that we're talking about, and that it isn't a party interest, that it's protecting voters' interest. Look, I'm a big believer in the Voting Rights Act, so I don't want to get off on, you know, the issues surrounding that. Uh, let me make it clear. On the other hand, it also promotes self-preservation that I talked about earlier in the redistricting process. That not only groups uh, uh, the marginalized communities—the African American voter, the Latino voter—but uh, it also uh, groups the party. Right. So it's kind of like you know. So 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 you're an independent. Where do you fall into this redistricting? Right. Uh, if you're an independent, they're not grouping you as a, as, as a part, partisan but the, our group in you is a Latino, there are the challenges that we need to meet. And in all of the states across the country where there are large Latino uh, uh, voters, large numbers of Latino voters, we need to be careful that we're not being pigeonholed, that there's not this vessel that we're going to be put through uh, in order to keep those that we have because we don't have enough anyway. I don't buy that. Uh, and, and to it's a matter of creating greater opportunities Polarization happens because we created it. We created polarization. Independent voters are the answer to fight polarization because it's not a matter of leaning Democrat. It's not a matter of leaning Republican. It's a matter of independently looking at candidates about which are the best to carry forward the issues that we care about. And until we deal with this, both from a redistricting level, opening primaries, in whichever form your state can handle that I think are a combination of moving forward otherwise you know we can keep talking about you know uh, uh opening up primaries but if the powers to be continue to put us in these little political reservations where we have no choice uh, it's only half the pie we've got to go for the whole thing
1: amber I just I think that uh, well I think redistricting is important although every state's a little different like in Oklahoma we have overwhelming Republican majorities in our state legislature, and it's gonna stay that way, even if you had an independent redistricting commission. What you really need, I think, are is a top two or open primary system, and then you would have different Republicans. You'd have you'd still have probably a lot of Republicans, but you'd have Republicans who are incentivized to cater their message to a broader electorate and not just try to chase the 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 most extreme voters in their closed primary system. So I've got some Oklahoma friends on this call right now from places like the Oklahoma Academy and let's fix this. And my message, which they've already heard to them and to anyone, is you know, coalesce around one goal. For me, I think the game changer in Oklahoma would be top two system or open primary system, something that incentivizes candidates to to have to face all the voters uh, and gives all the voters a say in the outcome. But, uh, you know, every state's probably going to have a different situation. But for me, if you had to do one thing, it would be rallying around around that, around open primaries, around top two uh, voting system.
0: Definitely understand where you're coming from. I used to live in Dell City as a kid. So Oklahoma, feel free to go forward (laughs) and do some amazing work. Um, But now at this time, we're going to open it up for questions. A quick reminder to ask a question, just type your name and stay in the the chat. And then one sentence description of your question. I'll then call on you to ask the question. Um, So let's go ahead and get started. Our first question comes from Jesse Fields of New York City. And she has a question around nonpartisan elections and open to primaries. Jesse, feel free to unmute yourself and uh, ask your question to whichever member of the panel you think um, is the best person to ask that question. We'll also jump in as a panel.
5: Okay, great. Thank you very much. This is really great. My, my question is around one, the fact that there's, as you've highlighted, enormous growth among independents through diverse communities Among America, 50% are now identifying, including in the Black community, the Latino community. At the same time, our, our electoral process, as has been stated, is closed. So a lot of times, independents can't vote in the primaries. We just were involved in a campaign in Florida at the end in the November election to try to open up the primaries in Florida. And in Florida, as well as in other states, including New York, where I live, the leading argument put forth by the party establishment And in Florida, many Democratic Party elected officials and black Democrats were saying that opening the primaries will hurt African-Americans, will hurt communities of color. That's the top argument that's used. And unfortunately, uh, you know, they have that rhetoric. So my question is, it seems to me that the we have to confront these challenges. We're up against really serious challenges. The Democratic and Republican parties are very threatened by independence and by opening the primaries. So how do we confront that? I think it's, it's very important to do that. And it's such a contradiction because as you pointed out, political independence is growing among communities of color. And how do we reach out to disenfranchised, marginalized, poor communities with this message of how important it is to, to their communities to be included and to, to have nonpartisan elections and nonpartisans Nonpartisan approaches to public policy.
0: That's my I point. want to say one quick thing, and then I would love for Danny, if you could start this one. But I live in Baltimore City, and Baltimore City, for the first time, we had an independent candidate um, for mayor who actually got twenty percent of the vote in the general election, and that was amazing. And that he actually started running in October, like really, because we you can't turn in your signature until August and all that type of thing. But a lot of folks in Baltimore's majority black voted for this independent candidate that had these great ideas. But we also saw that we need to educate folks on the fact that they don't have to subscribe to a certain group just because that's how it's traditionally been. So I'll yield back and pass it over to Danny.
3: Well, I think that I, I think that uh, what's going on across this country, particularly as it relates to Latinos, is a good example of the loss of loyalty to party. But and that's happening kind of organically. Uh, the. the you, one, because so many people are registering independent, and it's okay. But more importantly, because both parties are just not a place where you want to be. Uh, and and really feel independent, feel like you're making a choice for yourself. So the trend is there. The question is, how do we encourage okay, these people that are registering independent to vote? How do we get them out in a way where they can express themselves independently when they go to go to vote? And it just seems to me that it's a matter of a systemic change that goes, like I said previously, redistrict number one. Number two, opening up uh, uh, primaries. Uh, number three, continuing massive voter registration drives that are not partisan. By the way, we all know that the majority of people who are there registering people to vote are registering for a party, even though in my state it's illegal, right? It's illegal for you to register just Democrats or register just but you go into the areas where you know you're going to get the most fish, right? <laughs> to catch, uh, you know, uh, particularly in Latino areas and African American areas, people go in there believing, well, they're going to register Democrat. And I think we've got to educate folks that they can be independents despite the process that exists now that keeps them from voting in the primaries in an independent way. So, look, we got a lot of work, but at the end of the day, I think we, and we don't and get away from this leaning leaning Republican or leaning Democrat. Most people say that Latinos are registering independents, but they're really voting Democrats. Well, that's hogwash. They're not voting. It's not that they're voting. They're not voting because that, that, that civic participation, that culture of voting has not been instilled in the primary and the redistrict, et cetera, et cetera. So we got to keep reaching out to folks and say to them, we can't create true change, Hey, if you don't register, B, if you don't vote, and three, if you don't show the parties that there is another group of people here who truly think independent.
4: You know, just to add two cents to that, Amber, before you move on, I think what Jesse's saying is a great question. And I think the challenge for the reform community is to get into the black community. We can't just develop good arguments and we need to be on the ground in the black community. And this, this last year, for example, we were a part of an effort in St. Louis with the Center for Election Science and League of Women Voters and, and um, uh, Show Me Integrity. And this was an opportunity to take political innovation into one of the poorest, most devastated, most segregated cities in the United States of America. And given that the black community has played a leadership role on voting rights, on moving the country forward, to not be in the Black community and to say you are an important voice in this effort is is a real problem for the reform community. We're a little too white in what we do.
0: That's definitely fair. And I'm glad you stated that out loud because that's something we need to right, talk about, right? Because even our panel, right? We, we have a little bit of diversity here, but then this needs to go on into the movement and we need to make sure that that's something that's happening because you're right these groups who are historically been fighting for voting rights can help to move this and they're also tired they're tired of the same old thing and they need something else but right now we don't have another option so i really appreciate you for acknowledging that and thank you jesse for your question question two comes from tom vernon I'm not sure where you're from, Tom, but feel free to drop it in the chat. And you have a questions about open primaries as well as political parties. Feel free to unmute yourself and ask your question.
2: Those who are defending the party uh, registration system uh, make a point that the parties have been very important to our democracy for uh, at least a century and a half. Are we able now to say or are we saying that the two parties, the two major parties, are really no longer important to our democracy? I'm happy to jump in on that. I think quite the opposite. I think they are important. I'm, I'm a party member myself. But I think the question is, is what role do the parties have? Um, should, should the parties be in a position to be the gatekeepers uh, of our rules, or should they be Uh, part of the competition that participates within those rules. And who gets to make those rules? Is it the people? Or is it the parties? Um, You know, speaking of of voter registration, this goes back to sort of something Danny said earlier about participation. One of the things we do in the report is that we trace the history of voter registration in this country. And that history is a very sordid history. Uh, Much of the voter registration Uh, policy and law that has developed over the years has been for the purposes of keeping voters out, not for the purposes of creating efficiencies in the system, not for the purposes of combating fraud, but for making it harder to vote. And one of the things we, we, one of the recommendations we make in the report, one of the questions we raise is, why are states registering people as members of a party as part of the voter registration process? It's fun. It's a fundamental contributor to a lot of the issues that we're talking about right now. Twenty states, you don't you simply register as a voter, and that sounds simple enough. But in the majority of states, you register as a Republican, as a Democrat, as an unaffiliated voter, Green Party. The moment you do that, the moment you have siloed yourself and put yourself in a, into a system that keeps you separate and different from every other voter. Um, so I, I think. There, there's a lot of ways the parties have have infiltrated our, our system of elections and, and political participation that's harmful. Um, but I think they have incredibly important roles as competitors within the system to gather like-minded people together to run candidates. It's just a question of where do we draw the line? The line has gone way too far in the wrong direction.
3: Amber, can I add something to that real quick? Yeah, I, I think it's also important that candidates understand how they do not encourage voter participation. They do not, okay? They're the leaders of voter suppression. What do they do? They say, okay, get me the last, give me the statistics that shows me how people voted in the last three election elections or pre primaries whatever it is, right? And then they say, give me those names, give me those numbers. And that's all who gets information. The folks who are always voting. Okay, we've also got to break this system within our communities, all uh, but within our communities and within our candidates to say, look, you got to reach out to those who are not voting because if you don't, they're not going to get to vote. Spent $16,000 on a poll 20 years ago to find out what? Well, I don't vote because nobody contacts me. Duh. Okay, and that's the other challenge that we're facing that voters. Voters are being discriminated against by the candidates. Only those who vote frequently are being contacted. So the next challenge is, how do we get to those that aren't voting? In Arizona, you will never be contacted by a candidate in a primary, ever, okay? Unless they happen to come to your house and not know that you're an independent, right? But in terms of literature, in terms of direct uh, um, you know, solicitation, it's just those who have voted in the last few elections, and everybody else has left out another challenge for us.
1: And I want to piggyback, if I may, Amber, on what Danny's saying. You know, I understand I sympathize with a candidate who wants to focus their finite financial resources on those who are most likely to vote. So it's not necessarily their fault that they're not, you know, mailing mailers to people who are unlikely to vote. It's really incumbent on the system and the government to market the election better. And and there's many different ways we could spend an hour on this, but one of the things I've always liked about a top two is it's only two elections. um, and, And that's just more likely for people to participate in. Here in Oklahoma, we have three elections. You know, we have a primary, we have a primary runoff, and then we have, and that's by the way, the primary runoff is the least participated in election and it is where the most important decisions are usually made. And then you have the general election. And so with three elections, it's highly unlikely that those casual voters are going to participate. Um, So cutting from three to two is another good aspect. Marketing the election better is something that's always been important to me. And I think it resonates a little bit with what Danny's saying.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of different points you all just brought up. And then we can even think about what happened in Um, Georgia right where there was a big focus in that state to get folks who had not voted right and how that turned our election around so I think there has to be some parallel movement outside of the candidates doing that work for sure and making sure the government is making like voting and uh, registering to vote a thing for sure and I think we do need to have more um, conversations around that so I appreciate all you all's thoughts on that and then Tom thank you so much for your question and we're going to move on to the next question. So our third question comes from Mike, Mike Kinnick from Georgia. Um, can you, he wants to talk about lessons learned from the recent situation in Alaska with Senator Murkowski. And you can unmute your um, mic and go ahead and ask your question.
6: You, you, you pretty much did, it's Mike Kinnick. I, I'm just wondering how the group thinks or the panelists think about the, the, the impact of the single nonpartisan um, public primary and how that's freed up lisa murkowski to vote her conscience and vote what she thinks is is right versus what will hurt her and and then basically because they've taken the ability to use the primary as a weapon and being primaried away from um the, the the republican party up there so i'm just curious what what the groups that looking at this from the candidates perspective is the other note i put in the chat Um, What the thoughts are about that. And David, just since I'm talking, I'll just also comment that um, as someone who came into this without a strong opinion about the top two versus top four versus top five um, and his watching sort of the the process unfold here in Georgia as um, the final Georgia, the final five effort is getting some traction here in Georgia. Um, there is some very interesting historical perspective about the impact of top two has um, potentially on on minorities, um, and and I know um, that's a hot topic and it's a whole nother question to add into this mix. But the the whole top two, top four, top five. I welcome any comments on that.
0: John, can you answer the first part of that one? And then David, do you mind dealing with sure. a little bit of the first part and the second part?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's now four states with nonpartisan primaries: Washington, California, now Alaska, and Nebraska, though they don't use it for their federal offices. There's very few people, representatives and senators from California, Washington State, and now Alaska that were voted to not accept the results of the electoral college. Uh, when, when you create a nonpartisan system, people can just govern more on the facts and what's good for their constituents and good for the country. It's not rocket science. It's pretty, it's pretty third grade, actually. Mayor Holt talks about this brilliantly. You put people in a, in a crazy system where they're incented to listen to the 10%, the 15%, and not the 80%, the 85%. Why are we surprised that they vote in crazy ways?
1: Yeah, and i just I just echo that. I mean, yeah the the as I said earlier the the way you incentivize candidates govern changes how they behave as elected officials or changes who gets elected. but um, you know you can you can be a normal, reasonable person like the vast majority of Americans if you answer electorally to all the normal, reasonable people, and you can kind of shut out the extremists at both ends of the ideological spectrum. But in a closed partisan primary, everything completely shifts, and and half the voters are irrelevant. And now you're focused on these other half, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to gain that system to get you know the majority that you need. It, it's ridiculous. So the other thing um, you were asking, I don't, you know, I I am I just want a system where every candidate faces those incentives and is, and is put in front of all the voters and every voter gets to look at every candidate. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you have a Democrat saying, boy, I really liked John Smith in that Republican primary. You know, I would have voted for him, but I never got to even see him. You know, he was, he was kept from me. So uh, when you asked uh, about, you know, top four, top five, I, I am probably agnostic on that. I refer to top two because that's what I'm most familiar with. But, I just care about a system where every candidate faces every voter and every voter gets to see every candidate. And however many advance out of that is, is, uh, I don't have a strong opinion on, but I just want to get rid of these silos.
2: You know, Alaska's a case in point really about how broken the system is. Alaska's 58% of Alaskans are registered independent, 58%. And yet Senator Murkowski, who was one of the most, uh, widely, uh, uh, lauded, uh, senators in the history of the state couldn't win in the primary. She had to. She had to win as a write-in in the general election, which just shows how popular she actually was. Um, but those 58% of voters were shut out of the entire process, and so the process was perverting the will of the people and how it was identifying candidates and how uh, and which candidates were moving forward out of the primary system. Uh, now that has been taken care of. Alaska doesn't have that issue. And Senator Murkowski has a lot more freedom to govern for her own values and for the values of her constituents and not for the party platform.
1: You know, it's funny, since I want to hone in on something. This requires a lot of education with voters. A lot of voters think primaries are almost like March Madness, like you you got to win your first round to get to the big show, you know, and that if you couldn't win the first round, surely you're not a good candidate for the general election, you know. And that's not at all how it works. You know, it's not about a first round, second round. It's not like one contest is harder than the other. It's different types of, of candidates are going to function better in different kinds types of environments. So you absolutely can have a candidate like Lisa Murkowski, who is wildly popular amongst the entirety of Alaska, but is maybe not so popular in the Republican primary. And it that doesn't mean that one is not a superior performance to the other. They're just different groups of people. And and so we, we also have to help people with that. I've often heard people say, well, John Smith couldn't even get out of the Republican primary. So what kind of a general election candidate could he possibly be? Well, probably a really good one. You just wouldn't, you just didn't give him that chance to see the, the full electorate.
0: I'm with you on that. Like, I understand there may be some, and thank you, um, uh, Mike, for bringing that up around. There may be some disparities that are caused by these different processes. But I think what Mayor Holt said was, Just giving access to folks so they can have the conversation, they can come to the table so then the voters can actually truly vote and we can know who the true winner is. Right. I agree. We shouldn't have candidates who are winning with 26 percent of the vote. Like that doesn't make sense. Um, And the March Madness was perfect on time for us running into March next week. So I really appreciate um, you for calling that out because I didn't think about it until you said. And I'm like, yeah, we we do kind of do it that way. And that's not how the election process should work at all. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you, Mike, for your question. Um, our next question comes from Kathy Stewart in New York. She has a question around polarization for Danny. Um, feel free to unmute yourself and ask your question. Thanks
7: so much, and thanks to everybody. This is such a great conversation. I, I wanted to pick up on something you spoke about, Danny, about how polarized we are and how you see independence as the answer to that. And that's something that I've thought a lot about, obviously. At 50% of Americans who consider ourselves independent, we are diverse, we cut across all communities. Among millennials, it's growing, among the African-American community, Latino community. Um, And so I wanted to ask all our panelists, but especially Eugenia, to say more about how you see that culturally and politically. And I know that there's been some really interesting work done at the Morrison Institute that, that kind of tries to probe that issue and how independence can play a bridge building role because we just tend to be less partisan, right? Um, but to the panel and Danny.
3: Well, first of all, let's, uh, um, can you guys hear me? Uh, first of all, let's talk about the progress that we have been making, okay? I mean, Arizona's made progress after this last election. 10,000 Republicans will just register to the independence. Now to me, that's a big victory, right? Uh, uh, and and this is happening everywhere in the country, not just Arizona, but Arizona in particular is important because you know it's been a red state uh, and now it's purple and you know then of course you you want the Democrats to turn the blue. I don't I don't I, I want it to stay purple, right? And so we're we're dealing with this a cultural norm where look, in Arizona, if you ran for the legislature uh, and you talked to voters, you would believe that there was only one election. You guys are talking about two or three elections voters would believe there was only one election. 90% of the legislature is elected in the primary. So how can you encourage people to get out to vote in the general if the leg, with regard to the legislature if it's already decided? Redistricting, number one. Voting patterns number two. Candidates. It's only catering financially or partisan, you know, on, on certain people. At the end of the day, I think that progress is being made into our culture okay of, of you know being funneled you know to this tunnel of partisanship in a way and I'll re- re- repeat what I said that only independence right uh, can help us break away from it. and independence must look very seriously at making changes lots of changes the first one is already been mentioned several times let's get a system that encourages voting and that has to be a top two or whatever you wanna call it, right? But a a system that allows primaries to, to send two candidates forward. In Arizona, it only sends one. Even though you may have a Democrat and a Republican, the Republicans already won or the Democrats already won and nobody really cares. So you really need a system that makes general elections competitive, especially at a local level and forces candidates to reach out to everyone. Not just Democrats, not just Republicans, but Independents included, and so I, I I think that progress is being made. It's slow. I learned this forty five years ago. You know that things don't happen overnight, uh, but I think we're making great progress. And it's a cultural issue as much as a political issue. I mean, all of us are kind of believe that we're independent, and then we're leaning and realize no 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 no, <laughs> you know you. you yeah, you you got to keep true to the cause here. And so I think internally, all of us have some some um, uh, what they say is the road to recovery is admitting to yourself what went wrong or what you are addicted to or not. And I think we have a problem with addiction in this country, partisanship addiction. And it's going to take a while and some therapy to get to where we need to go. But it's happening.
4: Well, we also, we, we don't just have an addiction problem. We have a pusher problem. And honestly, go. if you look at the culture of of political campaigns, by and large, with some exceptions, it's based on demonizing the other. That's how you get your votes is by saying, if if that other guy gets elected, if those people come to power, you know, they're going to eat your children and your whole world's going to fall apart. And I think culturally, independents are the voters who've said, I don't buy it. I just don't buy the way that you tell me that my neighbor who might vote differently than me is fundamentally my enemy. And I think that to your question, Kathy, how are independence the solution? We have to find creative ways to tap into the sensibility of independence that we don't have to negate and demonize and attack each other in order to move the country forward. And that's a real creative challenge because the the demonization industry is so big. It's very, very big.
2: And, you know, just to add one thing uh, to what Danny was saying uh, earlier about about the public needing to understand, the political class understands this very well Mm -hmm. uh, about the role of independence. That's why they try to keep them out. Um, We're working in Utah right now uh, where the Utah Republican Party is trying to push through a massive, massive change in voter re-registration rules uh, to keep independent voters. It's a closed primary, but independents regularly re-register into the Republican Party because that's the only primary that matters in the state of Utah. They regularly re-register right before a primary in order to participate. They want to change the rules and keep those voters out. Uh, they know it's gonna to lead to uh, uh the the party losing members, but they don't care. This is about power. This is about consolidating their power. And they know that unaffiliated voters are unpredictable, that they don't follow uh, the the party line. Um, and they don't like that. And keeping them out, keeping them in it's like they're happy to make that compromise if it means consolidating their control.
0: Again, you all said so many powerful statements. And I think that we have to get to the point where we truly understand. One, we do have to say I have a problem, even though I say I'm an independent. I do lean a certain way. We do have to really acknowledge that and say, if we are independents, let's fully push, fully push and fully move, fully move it forward. Um, and then we have, we're almost to our last question, but our second to last question is from Steve Barrett. If I said your name wrong, I apologize. From New Jersey. You want to talk about politicians reforming the system. Please unmute yourself and ask your question. And thank you, Kathy, for your question.
2: Hi, and thanks for the opportunity to ask my question. We're we're in New Jersey, very jealous of California and, and Alaska and Washington, which have these citizen ballot initiatives that bind the legislature to act, but we don't have that luxury. So how do we convince party politicians to reform a system in which they are thriving? What is the, is there some magic dust or, uh, how, how how do we do that? Just, just like to hear various opinions because we're engaged
3: in that struggle. Well, let me, let me give it a shot. It's a, it's almost feels hopeless in Arizona, but let's, let's, (laughs) let's, let, let me deal with that. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, I think Arizona has one of the uh, best initiative processes um, around. And, uh, and, uh, you know, though the legislature meddles with it from year to year to make it tougher and tougher, I don't think we're going to get politicians to change on their own. Uh, I think it's going to take the voters to change the system. Politicians are nothing more than self-preservation at best when it comes to elections and not to say that they don't do good things, not to say they're good people, but self-preservation is much too important. And I, I really think that the, the initiative process in Arizona is the only way to change this. Politicians are not gonna, gonna change. I mean, the redistricting is a perfect example. They're all just, you know, lobbying and doing everything in their power to end up with the voters that they want in the districts that they're gonna run in. Uh, so, um, Uh, Then, if you have an initiative process like we do in Arizona, that's the way to go. Unfortunately, they've put some more roadblocks in the way of making it work, but it's still doable.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's an initiative process. That's what I say in Oklahoma. There's no way that the people who are a product of this system are going to vote to dramatically change it. So um, to happen in Oklahoma and probably in most places, I would say it has to be a citizen initiative.
4: Well, here's here's a a, w- a word of hope for the, the, those of you living in a state like New Jersey or don't have INR. Um, we're working on a campaign right now uh, with Caitlin McCase, who's on the call today, in Maine, to pass a semi-open primaries bill. And we're actually reasonably optimistic that we have a chance here to do this. Why? Because people like Joe Pickering have been writing letters to the editor and op-eds for a decade They've built. They've spoken at the rotary clubs. They've gone to the meetings. They've reached out. They've built a base of support. It's not as fast as I'd like it. I wish we had INR in every state. But there is these opportunities in, 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 in legislative states to go to ground. And it's not glamorous. And it's not sexy. And it's not quick. But ultimately, you can build and you can grow and get to a point where the legislature, when Caitlin calls them up, and says, we want you to vote for this open primary bill. They've been like, I've been hearing from my constituents on that for five years. Of course, I'll vote yes.
0: I think you're I think you're exactly right, John. And as I'm listening to you all, I realize that part of the reason I'm an, I'm an independent is because my dad was in the military and I lived in places like Oklahoma, Arizona, Mississippi, Virginia. Like I've had a whole bunch of different experiences um, to like really shape my life view and when folks don't have those different experiences then you grow up in a place that is predominantly one political party it's very easy to see how you become a part of that system so I'm really happy about this conversation and we only have time for one more question and it's a very personal question that's coming from Lillian Clement I think it's Clemente out of Virginia Lillian please unmute yourself and feel free to ask your question
7: hi thank you very much it's Clementi. um and I, I saw some pessimism in the chat. We just passed redistricting reform in Virginia against the interest of the legislature. And it was because one, grassroots support, two, um, the, and then because they didn't know who was going to be in charge of redistricting this year, right? Um, so, So it can be done. And my question is, that nearly killed me. I'm still recovering from that. What do we do next, right? I mean, as, a, as a citizen, I have an open primary here. I've just done part, participated in redistricting reform. What do I do next to move this ball? I'm sick and tired of the polarization. I'm, I'm done with it.
0: And if all panelists can answer that in 30 seconds, that would be great. Thank you so much, Lillian.
7: I mean, I think
4: Lillian's structural political reform is a good start, but it's just a start. We have to take advantage of these reforms to bring together people from across the aisle and who have different views. And that's citizens' groups, and that's forums and dialogues. We have to build a new culture in a new system.
2: I'm with John. We need to organize, but we can't just organize among the people we're already talking to. One of the big issues that the reform movement faces is how small it is. We need to build bridges with other movements, with other groups. You know, everybody who works on any policy issue right now in this country is frustrated by the lack of movement on that issue. When government's not working, every issue suffers. We need to build bridges with everybody who cares about anything that's before state legislature, that's before Washington, DC, and work together to get the system healthy so that all the policy issues we care about can actually get a hearing.
3: Well, this is Danny Ortega. Let me tell you that I'm tired of talking to Democrats about this. uh, what I need to do is but given the large number of young people that are out there who are registering independent, especially in my community, I think that's where I got to spend my time. I got to spend my time with people who uh, are registering independent or, as we call it, non-party preferred. I'd like to call them independent. But um, I think we need to spend more time talking to them in groups, small groups, a little at a time. Uh, it's the basics of organizing at its best uh, to begin to bring them together because nobody has called a meeting of folks who are independents to talk about where do we go from here, okay? Uh, And I think we just need to be more creative. All of us know how to organize, come on, all right? And be more creative in talking to those folks and stop wasting our time with the partisans, you know, who believe you're a sellout because you're not promoting a party. Uh, you know, let's just do it.
1: I don't know enough about Virginia to tell you what to do next. Although I did read just yesterday, the Virginia Republican Party is conducting an entire nominating process by having people drive to Liberty University, right? So that's probably not a good way to nominate uh, candidates in a closed primary system. But um, I would just say to you and to everybody, you know, it's, it's focusing people on these process structural issues. It sounds kind of boring at first, we get passionate about it because we've, div- we've, we've, we've dived into it enough that we understand it's not boring. It's actually the fundamental foundation of everything else. And so I always view these issues as more important than any policy issue because the outcome of every policy issue is dictated by how we elect people and how we create the structure for decisions to be made. So I just keep, keep dreaming and keep trying to get people excited and motivated about these, these fundamental issues because everything else is an outcome that will result from what we're talking about right here.
7: It's the golden key to every door. And it was amazing how many people in Virginia got it, actually, um, and were engaged. Anyway, enough for me.
0: Thank you so much, Lillian, for your question. Thank you to John, Mayor Holt, Danny, Jeremy for being here today. Thank you for everyone who took time out of the middle of the day to talk about a very important topic. And I see in the chat, like that was very engaging and folks are feeling really activated. So my next step is to go get the uh, Great Migration Report and read it. And really, I've tried to understand what's going on. We'll make sure in a, a email following this that you all get the recording as well as a link to that report. So please make sure you share that far and wide, because folks need to know about this. And different places should be asking some of these um, individuals who are on the panel to come out and speak about this on CNN, CBS, and all these places. Let's make this a thing. And we can do that through social media and through our networks. Um, So please help us share it far and wide. And thank you again for participating. We're looking forward to even more conversations like this. I feel like we just got started, but we'll be back for sure. So thank you all so much and have a wonderful day. Well, guys, you've reached the end of another episode of the AI Decodes the System podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll receive the newest episode every week. Now, if you love this episode of AI Dakota System, please head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. The data from reviews and ratings helps more people get access to the show, so we need your help, and thank you so much in advance. Remember to follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and now Clubhouse with the handle A-I Decodes. that's A-I-D-E-C-O-D-E-S. Join us next week as we decode the system one podcast episode at a time.